episode 355, Shang-Chi, I mean, Shang-Chi, Legend of the Ten Rings, movie review. Welcome to Level 7, a podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Welcome to Level 7. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, here to talk about a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie that was seen in the movie theater with no option to see it any other way. And I'm not the only one here to talk about Shang-Chi. I am also joined by Agent Stu from the UP. From the UP. Yes, we saw the movie in the theater. It was great. And this movie broke some broke some records. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But first, mm-hmm. we need to also introduce, she's right over there. It's Agent Samantha. Hey, how's it going? And I'm just going to be really, really quiet. No, I'm, I'll, I'll talk. I'm joking. <laughs> so here we are talking about a movie that we went and saw in the theater. I think that we need to, for this episode, start out maybe talking about our experience going to see this movie, but also a quick, spoiler-free, just preview of what we thought and do we recommend it to people? And then we'll just jump right into the the meat of the episode, which is just to talk about all the stuff there is to talk about. And yeah, so there was no option to see this at home. We couldn't buy a $30 ticket for Disney Plus like you could with Black Widow, which means none of the actors who are in this movie are suing the studio for <laughs> for lost revenue, which yeah. uh, that that's not going to end well for anyone. It it just looks bad. I think it's not going to end well for Scarlett Johansson because she's probably not going to get as much as she should be getting. And I think it's not going to end well for Disney because it's just not going to look well, for, look good for them. Yeah, th- I think the optics are way worse than the actual problematics. I mean, I've been reading articles about the Russo brothers aren't going to direct another movie because of Scarlett Johansson's uh, lawsuit. Well, no, <laughs> they're just worried that their movie's going to get pushed over to Disney plus like everybody is. Yeah. And the unfortunate thing is just, there's a new reality. That's not just mm-hmm. streaming exists. There's a new reality that COVID exists as well. And mm-hmm. so so much of this, and th- this is where like the, the populist side of me is just like, oh my goodness, the optics of this everywhere. This is so much privilege that's just being sued about, you know, and it's just like it, your movie, be glad your movie came out, you know, but on the other hand, there's an agreement in place and Scarlett Johansson deserves the agreement to be followed. And so whatever else you might say about you know, rich people suing rich companies. <laughs> there's, there's just that, that code of honor that's being violated. And yeah, well then it's also probably, uh, not the warmest, fuzziest feeling to be like, Hey, look, the next movie that didn't star a woman as the main character got released in theaters and broke a whole bunch of records. So what, what, why did you do that? Disney? Yeah. 
Yeah. Again, optics. Well, yeah, and but here's the thing. I mean, we saw Black Widow in theaters, right? Yes. And so we're the diehard fans. We're going to make the trip. There is a lot of uncertainty still about COVID. And, and well, for some people, there's no uncertainty at all. You know, it's, but there is uncertainty in a lot of places. Uh, like in my area right now, I almost feel like no one cares. Like it's, it's just not a thing anymore. And it just, it is a thing. And it's, it's hitting closer and closer to home, but yeah, it just, it's a thing though, that is an actual problem that has to be dealt with and movies lost money, studios lost money. And on the Disney side of it, you can totally see what they're saying and what they're doing. And they're saying, we needed to get this out and we were able to find a way that it went into theaters for people who wanted that experience, but it also was at home. And I don't know if you remember Onward when they put Onward out, but man, that was just kind of a, this was a nice thing they did for us because we're in quarantine, <laughs> you know, and, or whatever it was, you know, whatever you want to call it. And, but the truth is with Black Widow, they needed to get it out for the lineup of movies behind it, but also because it was done and it's not making money right now when it's not doing anything. And when you push the date and push the date and push the date, really, it should have been Disney going to Scarlett Johansson and saying, hey, we're doing this. We still are going to give you a cut. I, we will figure out a cut from the streaming, but we're also going to give you, it's not going to be exactly what you would have gotten if we had released this in a non-COVID time period. But we're going to give you this up front to help. You know, They just should have gone to her and said, let's make a deal. Yeah, I mean, they really should have just renegotiated the contract, and I, and she would have understood because we're all going through this. So, I mean, if they had just been honest with her and just tried to work a different deal with her up front, because literal act of God circumstances, I think they would have worked something out. But because they didn't do that, not just with her, but with everybody else, with all these releases, I mean, they were grabbing for money that they were hoping that they could take from other people. I mean, yeah, and it, there is like a huge privilege issue, but Disney was not being honest with the people that they were working with. I think that's a huge thing, too. Well, and the other side of that is once you first off, we have no idea what Disney and Scarlett Jansen did or did not do. I mean, really, we can read the articles till we're blue in the face, but we really don't know what they did or didn't. Sure. All we know is what the true. lawyers are saying in their posture. Right. Quotes. Right. Yeah, but what also bothers me is that quote that Disney released or the lawyers released shortly after she filed saying something about, well, she has enough money. I mean, that was just, yes, privilege, but that was also, the statement itself was really, really catty. Yeah, no, a couple things that Disney said were, but, yeah. But then I'm looking at friends who are losing jobs. I'm looking at friends who are losing lives. I'm looking at yeah. all this stuff that's going on with COVID. And I'm just thinking to myself, all of this wouldn't even be an issue if Disney went to Feige and Johansson and said to them, Hey, you two, or whoever else need to be brought in producer wise and mm -hmm. said, this is what we need to do. We've got a movie. We want people to see this movie. We have an agreement with you 
there's no way that we're going to be able to make the same amount of money that we would have if it had been a regular release at regular time and, and just taking care of it that way. And then because there was an element of, oh, they're finally getting this movie out. There was a feel good element. We get to go see the MCU in a theater again. And here we go. And some of us are, some of us were privileged enough to be able to go to the theater. There are still people who have theaters that are closed and there are people who are in areas where even if the theater is open, they don't want to go because there are rising numbers. And again, so this is us riding privilege as well, where we're able to say, we don't have to spend the 30 bucks. If the only way I could do this was to watch it at home for $30, I would have saved money if I'd done it that way. But I, I didn't. Now, if it had been a low budget indie film where I felt like, well, I need to go and support them in the theater. That's, that's one thing, but I just wanted to see it in the theater. I just wanted (laughs) to see it on the big screen. I wasn't worried about anyone's pocketbook except for my own. Is it worth me spending this much money to go and see it in the theater with four of my five kids? Um, and it was. Well, and you know, one of the things about the Marvel movies, the MCU movies is that they need to be seen in the theater. I mean, we've always said that. And so I, yeah. The interesting yeah. thing, you, you say that, Stuart, but of all the movies that could be not seen in the theater, I think Black Widow is one of them. That was the one that was most intimate and smallest in some ways, except for the, the big, giant, you know, explosion CGI fest at the end. But I agree because of the intimacy of that movie. I feel like that would have been the one like if I if I if there's one MCU movie I didn't see in the theater, that would be the one that would work the best. Not in theater. Granted, I now have a huge television because we have a huge living room and and it was really funny. Actually, I went to Walmart to buy a new TV. I'm looking at one and there's a teenager who's working there and he looks at me and says, Oh, you want that one? I was like, yeah, I think that's the one I'm looking at, at getting. He says, no, what you want is this one over here. Same brand, same basic model, but five inches bigger and only $10 more. And he's like, it's only $10 more. I said, are you serious? I couldn't see a, a, a price tag anywhere. He says, yeah. Oh, I'm serious. I'll prove it to you. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> he takes out his little um, scanner device that he has and and scans it and shows me the price and, and sure enough it was only ten dollars more and I was like okay I'm I'm getting it you sold me and but at then, that point my goodness <laughs> and at that point Ben turns into an animated GIF of Stephen J Fry throwing money at some poor innocent <laughs> little Walmart associate who's just trying to make a wage <laughs> screaming at, take my money and and at that point I had to like explain to my wife why I was getting a much bigger television than we planned on. <laughs> and it, it was okay. It turned out okay. I was going to say, it's all good. I'm going to guess you have the space at your house for it because, well, I've seen pictures of the exterior. Yeah. Yeah. No, our living yeah. room used to be a, a church sanctuary. Now a small church sanctuary. And yeah. they added rooms into that area to make, you know, we have rooms along the side of that sanctuary to, you know, that are, that are bedrooms, but, um, but it is very big. We had to buy new furniture just to have enough room. But what was awesome about it was we bought new furniture and suddenly we have a living room that we've moved into where all of us can sit in the living room at one time and be comfortable. And it was a beautiful feeling. Oh, that's wonderful. But you know, that that was worth it. (laughs) Yeah. 
All that said, watching Black Widow on even on my iPad, though, I, I would have been fine with it, especially because it is, like I said, a more intimate, close-up movie. It's not a lot of sweeping vistas, although there are some. But, you know, the Black Widow movie, Iron Man movies, you know, they're just not as big. Yeah. Endgame, no. <laughs> yeah, what Definitely your first experience needs to be on big screen. Yeah, and you mean the cinematography, because you're right, there aren't that many large Vista views in Black Widow until probably the big boom at the end. Yeah, all that, though, I'm going to say, we're here to talk about Shang-Chi, which (laughs) I think is absolutely something that must be experienced on the big screen. Yeah. uh, Anything special or fun about your... your, uh, big screen cinematic journey watching this movie. Well, I hate to say, start talking about COVID again, but when I went to go see black widow, the infection rates were on the decrease. So I went to this theater and I was not wearing a mask. And then a month later or how many weeks later, not that, not that far away, uh, about a month or so I'm going to see Shang Chi and school's back in and infection rates are spiking. I chose middle of the day on Friday because school's in. That means the kids are not there and most of them are not vaccinated. And I wore a mask while I was sitting there. It, and everybody in the theater sat. I mean, it was like a very conscious thing. We were all fans. I knew. I know we were all fans because no one got up at the end for the credits we all waited like like Marvel trained us. But we were all very conscious about not sitting close to each other. So, whereas with... It it was not that way at all when I went to go see um, Black Widow. Stuart, what was your experience? Honestly, and I... And I now I guess I have to check my privilege because honestly... It was as if seeing a movie before COVID. I mean... Yeah, up here we have, um, you know, they're they're growing, but very slowly. And you know, my whole family has been vaccinated, and or those of us that can be, and um, we're masks aren't really a thing unless you go into high risk situations like hospitals or whatnot or doctors' offices even. But it it felt very very normal and. Don't hate me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because, you know, we're conscious of it, you know. And yes, every single one of us stayed in the theater because, duh, that's what you do after you see a Marvel movie. Well, where I live, uh, the hospitals are overflowing with patients. And that's how bad it is around here. It's it's interesting because even as you're talking, I can picture different people in my life who would have heard anything that both of you have said and just been against it. You know, and just been like, right. You know, and, and that's right. what's tough. And we have to be careful. You know, this is not supposed to be a political podcast. Um, we talk politics when it shows up on the screen, but this is not meant to be a political podcast. But at the same time, there is this thing going on right now. And yeah, all I'm going to say about that is if you're listening right now and and you're angry, you know, I, dialogue is, is good. And, and I don't like to, I don't like to argue. I mean, I love to argue about like, 
Star Wars versus Star Trek or that kind of thing. But, you know, <laughs> there, it, you know if someone no comes argument. at me about, that, about... That's a valid argument yeah, to yeah. make. <laughs> but if someone comes at me about, you know, your opinion about this mask thing, I, I just, I'm not, I'm not seeking out an argument on on this stuff because you know what? It's it's tough and it's hard no matter how you look at it. And the things that people are getting upset about, they're getting upset about because it's tough and it's hard and it's scary, you know, and it's, we all have to navigate this. And the problem is we have to navigate it together. And the problem is when we're navigating together and we're on opposite sides, then for some people, the opposite side becomes, you know, irreconcilable. The other thing is, Ben, you know, we have three different, we have three very different experiences, right? Samantha's living in a situation where um, hospitals are overflowing and, and closing main lobbies to make more ICU beds. I'm living in a situation where COVID question mark. Oh yeah. That thing. My theater experience <laughs> was I did go to the big, it was the AMC theater. That's 30 minutes away now for me after moving, but man, to see it in that theater. And, and that's the one where I went with um, Evan we recorded about about it for Strangers and Aliens. That episode might be out uh, by the time this releases. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't assembled it yet to, to release it yet. And I, it's this week's episode, though. Um, Is that the same one where you saw all the other uh, road trip movies? Yeah, that's that's the usual one that I go to with him. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. Is this the one where you took the 90 minute road trip <laughs> no. down the toll no. lanes to go see Inhumans? No. <laughs> It is oh, not. Okay. It is not. No, although that was fun, but that is not what this one was. No, this was us, uh, the usual theater, and it's AMC, and it's just standard, but it's big screen. The yeah. audio was off a little bit, though. The there were certain frequencies where it would um, be fuzzy, and that was a little bit frustrating. But um, but we did it. Was it in Atmos? Was it in Dolby Atmos? I don't think so. Okay. I don't don't know that it came out in that, so forgive me on that. Uh, So that was fun. That was good. Uh, Walked out, gave it my letterbox rating, and then I'm thinking, wow, maybe I shouldn't have given it that rating. And so I went the next day with my kids to the theater down the street. That's a two-minute drive away. And we were going to walk, but then it was raining, so we had to drive and saw it in that tiny small town theater so much nostalgia seeing it that way and uh my opinion did not change it did not change at all so i just here's the thing man (laughs) i do not do this very often but let me see if i can bring this up i gave this the same star rating that I gave to Alien. Gave this the same star rating that I gave to, well, I give to a perfect movie. I gave it five stars out of five. Are you serious, Ben? I am. I am. And and, and, and not only that, (laughs) not only that. Yeah, so, uh, on Letterboxd, uh, Shang, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, five stars. Alien, five stars. And then from there, it's 
four and a half stars, Princess Bride, Wizard of Oz, Bill and Ted, Forbidden Planet, Christopher Robin, Into the Spider-Verse, Aliens, Solaris, Stalker, Village of the Damned, uh, National Theater Live, King Lear, Incredibles 2, Infinity War, Black Panther, all of those four and a half stars because they're close to perfect. But I gave it five stars. And not only that, that means that when you look at my list of the Marvel Cinematic Universe rankings, Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, I keep saying Shang because that's the way I've said it all my life, but Shang-Chi is the highest ranked MCU movie out of all of them. Is this your favorite? I mean, obviously numbers don't lie. I think it is. So if you look at my listing, although I don't think Captain Marvel is in here, but Captain Marvel would be lower, lower on the list. And it's one of those things where, okay, just because, just because Iron Man two is number 23 on my list (laughs) doesn't mean it's a bad movie. I still like the movie. And I mean, it's probably because there's 23 Marvel movies now, right? 25. Oh, 25, okay. I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Thor, the dark world is still number 25. Yeah. So, I mean, you, I can do it right now. I can go through my ranking right now, but I can't remember where I would put Captain Marvel. But anyway, number one, Shang-Chi, number two, Captain America, the winter soldier, number three, Black Panther. Number four, Doctor Strange. Number five, Infinity War. Number six, Civil War. Number seven, Endgame. Number eight, Age of Ultron. Number nine, The First Avenger, Captain America. Number 10, Guardians of the Galaxy. 11, Spider-Man Homecoming. Number 12, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Number 13, Ant-Man. Number 14, Avengers. Number 15, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Number 16, Iron Man 3, which I don't think people usually would rank that one that high uh number 17 thor ragnarok i think most people have that a little bit higher um 18 spider-man far from home 19 black widow 20 thor 21 iron man 22 thor the dark world 23 iron man 2 24 incredible hulk and then captain marvel would probably fit in between black widow and thor which is around number 20 um but this is some of these that you're trying to say you know which is my favorite child you know, like you can't make that decision. If you have to, fortunately, when someone asks me who's my favorite child, they can't pin me down. They're not going to make me say anything. But for ranking a list on Letterbox, you gotta, you gotta say something. I that there, I just don't make the lists. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we went to the theater. Let's see what did we? I think we saw it on Saturday. I worked all day long. It was right, you know, right before a big holiday weekend. So that was real fun. Um, we were going to go to a three 30 showing. I called my wife when I was about an hour away because uh, I work in the Eastern time zone, but I live in the central time zone. So my time zone math is really sketchy sometimes. And, uh, I called her and I was like, Hey, which show do you want to go see? She goes, are you home? And I said, no, but I'm only an hour away. And she goes, you're doing your math wrong. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so we ended up seeing a later showing, which is fine. You know, there weren't that many people in the theater. And as we walked out, the thing that stuck in my head was that this movie was a mozzing. <laughs> <laughs> like three people got that joke, and I love you for it. Uh, my review 
of the movie is very close to yours. I don't get the joke, but you need to watch Kim's Convenience. Oh yes, yeah, I haven't. I do. It's really good. It is. On Instagram, I do seven-word movie reviews, and my seven-word movie review of Shang Chi was magical, beautiful, exciting, thoughtful, artful, practically perfect. And so, I think you know where the conversation is going to go after we play the spoiler organ. We yeah. might tease a few things here and there, but Samantha, yes. What? How? What's your initial you like reaction? To, would you like to join this? I ranking, would say, reviewing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yes. I don't rank movies cause I just love them all, but <laughs> or actually there are some I love more than others, but I mean, they're, they're all really well-made films and I would say, yeah, this is really high up there. If I were to rank it, I would say probably 4.75, 4.8 something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really well-made. I enjoyed it. As soon as I got into the theater, I, I realized, oh, the Ten Rings. I know exactly what inspired those. Those are actually like old school wrist braces for exercise. Once you strengthen up enough, you just put on another ring. I mean, that's. Well, but it's also inspired by like fashion. And I don't know about Chinese fashion. <laughs> I do know about seeing fashion in Kung Fu movies, though. I've seen people wear stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and it is. Yeah. Let's just face it, you know, Shang-Chi and the 10 bracelets doesn't sound as cool. No, it doesn't. Uh, also, it doesn't fit the uh, branding of the MCU and also doesn't fit, you know, Marvel Comics, Mandarin's 10 rings. but Or Shang-Chi and the 10 wrist weights. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's what they were. Because I've, I've been using some recently and I was like... Oh, but mine actually has Velcro, and I can add little bars to add the weight instead of, you know, just adding another ring. And now when you put them on, you're going to start imagining that you're, like, punching those rings out. and Yeah. (laughs) Or more like kicking them, but yeah. (laughs) So let's do quick final word. If you have a final word for spoiler-free, and then we'll play the spoiler organ. Go. Well, this is where I should have said it was a (laughs) mozzing. It is amazing, yeah. Uh, I mean, and it is, it's beautiful. It's well written. It's well acted. I I suppose that there, because Aquafina's in it, I suppose that there was some improv along the way and it was beautiful, perfect. I mean, and Aquafina didn't just do comedy. I mean, she did some really serious um, dramatic acting in this movie too. And she did a fantastic job and she didn't get to just be the, the funny sidekick, she actually got to do some action without spoiling some stuff. There were some moments where you're expecting the usual Marvel Cinematic Universe joke is going to happen here. Because it's a tense, emotional moment. And instead, she stops and like asks a legitimate question. You know? Yeah. And, and so she's saying all these jokes and you're expecting her. Okay, this is going to Oh, here it comes. Oh, oh no, that's actually a human response that she just made right there. Like, yeah. it's not just a jokey, <laughs> scripted response. That's what a normal human being would say confronted with that moment. And, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So my... Play the organ. Well, my quick spoiler-free okay. thing is, if you like crouching, if you like 
Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. If you like, yes, I, I was carried away by the beauty of some of the Mm -hmm. scenes, especially, but some more than others, but all of it fairly beautiful. Um, I laughed a lot and it was referencing and going into these, these, uh, cinema styles that I'm not an expert, you know, and, and I can't speak to people who are, um, able to, again, like black Panther able to say, Hey, you know, the, the, that's the Chinese American experience here. I get to see some of that on the screen and, and there's people who look like me, you know, I, I, I can't speak to that so much, but I am hearing people and seeing people like on, on Twitter and different things who are, are saying that. And it's so cool that they get to say that even more cool that it's making lots of money, even more cool that it's a movie that, that everyone it's, it's universal. I think anyone can watch it. And if you've never seen a Marvel movie before this movie, you're not going to be lost at all. Yeah. You're not going to be lost at all. That's what's cool about this movie. So let's play that spoiler organ and let's, uh, spend some more time talking about this movie, but in detail, but with spoilers, with spoilers. Yes. Spoilers. 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 And the spoiler organ has been played. And now here is All spoiler bets are off. Anything we've talked about on the podcast, we can spoil now. We can talk about the blip, but we don't need to because they (laughs) barely talk about it here. They reference it in such a way. This is what was so brilliant. They reference it in such a way that if you know what they're talking about, you're like, ooh, I get that reference. But if you don't, it sounds like something that's just normal. They'd say, we live in a world where half the population could disappear in a, in a moment's notice. They say that and we're like, yeah, the blip happened. And then someone else who didn't see Endgame or, or Infinity War, they'd be like, yeah, cause that's, that's what could happen in real life. You know, like it, they do it in such a way that it doesn't have to have, you don't have to re- understand everything. Now, would it be nice to understand there's uh there's Wong and there's um, uh, Abomination. Yeah, sure. That'd be great. But you don't have to. You just have to know there's a magic guy and a monster <laughs> fighting. What? And then later on, the magic guy comes back because, yeah. And then do you have to know that one of the Black Widows from the movie Black Widow is fighting someone who has extremists from <laughs> Iron Man 3? No. You don't have to know that. But if you do... You have a deeper connection and and a deeper experience. Okay, so I thought the Ten Rings was referenced in the first Iron Man movie. It, it, it was, is. yeah, yeah. It's like in the first scene or something. What are you talking about with a Black Widow fighting an extremist person? Helen, Wh- who? So, what? So here's the thing. I made a mental note to do this, but I didn't do it. When they're walking through and looking through the windows, and you see the sumo wrestler picking up someone, throwing them on the, right. the window, you know, right. okay, there okay. is a ninja-y looking woman in a, in a black outfit who's fighting someone right. who has glowing stuff under their skin. And All he right. says, hey, Helen, good job, Helen. I love Helen. 
I'm thinking to myself, I need to look up Helen because they call her by name. Now, did I look it up? No, I didn't look it up. But then on Facebook, I saw an article where it said, here's Helen. Well, Helen is one of the Black Widows from Black Widow. One of the ones that was rescued? Yeah. Aren't they just connecting everything in this movie? Because guess who else we saw? Well, and then, so then the other, the person she's fighting seems to have extremist, extremist powers. Right. And so that was something that was kind of noticeable. I didn't, you know, I I file that away as well, but yeah, it's, there's the references. And then you have Abomination, who I guess Mm -hmm. Eli Roth helped voice that character. He did. I looked it up. He did. So that's cool. And you have Benedict Wong playing Wong and... And then, of course, you know, you have Mark Ruffalo, you have Captain Marvel, you have um, then the oh. Ten Rings and Trevor. Oh. Bruce Banner, who is not Professor Hulk and his arms in a sling. What happened? And I need another Hulk movie. <laughs> but yeah, no, we're going think... to have She-Hulk. I know. Right, I know, I right. Know. So I, I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to see. But I think that that phone call zoom call holographic zoom call Mm -hmm. that they had, I think in the captain Marvel movie, we're going to see her talking about the rings and then have to leave to go do something in her other movie in, in in the Marvel. The the rings are going to be a huge thing going forward. Yeah. We'll get to it. I'm sure. But those rings, I mean, those are like the MacGuffins of those are like the the Tesseract of whatever this new Marvel's cinematic universe saga, whatever they're going to call it, is. That's the Tesseract. Well, yeah, and maybe. as soon as I got home, I I started watching Doctor Strange because I knew there there were going to be a lot of connections because when the rings were off of I forget his name, Shang's dad. Shang's dad, when they were on him, they were the power was blue. But when they went on Shang, she, uh, they became like that yellow color, like like uh, the same power color that Doctor Strange has. And that's associated with the cosmic power energy, right? Yeah, and some and of the if, people in the village also had that same cosmic power or or the sorcerer power. You that, know, it's real interesting. Yeah, all of the Eternals. Have that same color power too. Yeah, yeah, and I, I did not forget because there was it was a trailer for this movie mm-hmm. in the theater. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm curious how it all is going to connect together, you know, and how much of this is just going to be, how much this is just going to be um, setting up the next Shang Chi movie. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I do find it interesting that at the end they don't say Shang Chi will return. It was. The Ten Rings will return. Yeah. And, but what I also appreciated about it is those two post-credit scenes were not just setting up a commercial for the next movie. They had to do with the characters we spent two hours with in this movie as well. And so for, for the first post-credit, it's, hey, these rings are important and you're stuck with them. You know, like... When you use them, it's sent out a signal. So what does that mean? I don't know. That's so intriguing. When he used them, it sends out a signal. 
his dad's been using them for 3,000 years, 4,000 years, whatever it might be. I can't remember how much it was. And the signal never went out, you know, but he uses them and the signal goes out. How is mm. it? Does that connect to Eternals? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Don't know. And then the next one is his sister is setting up a a better Ten Rings organization. It's one that has women training and solar power. That's the when I watched it the first time, it stuck out to me. They are when the camera is moving away, they're installing solar panels on nice. on their compound. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You've gotta, you've gotta. Get with the times. Hey, it's it's more sustainable. It's cheaper yeah. for them probably to, to make their own power out there than to you know get the power from wherever it comes. And and when you have a bad guy lair, you know whatever you're using it for, it, it, the power costs are are big. You know, it's yeah. Yeah. not just I air mean, conditioning the house. If you're gonna put lasers on dolphins, I mean, you've <laughs> gotta. It's that's a lot of energy to expend. Yeah. Uh, so I walked out of this movie thinking. It reminded me of the first Iron Man. You know, when I walked out of that out of that movie, I saw it all by myself. Might have been the only person in the theater, but maybe not. I mean, it was forever ago. Um, but it was I, I definitely went alone. And I walked out going, we're at the beginning of something huge. Yes. And yes. lo and behold... This is what that reminded me of. You know, I, I wa- when we're walking out of this um, and you have Wong saying, get ready because you guys are in for a, uh, a journey. It makes me excited because, you know, first off, Simu Lee is very charismatic. He's got a great story. You know, <laughs> you can go find stock photos of him. Of of being a model for stock photo catalogs. And now he's one of the biggest movie stars in the world. You know, in one of the biggest movies in the world. That's great. I love it. Um, and then Aquafina, Yeah, I kind of at some point was like, why are you here? And then it clicked. This is her origin story too. So not only do we have two origin stories going on. Three really if you three, count yeah. them. So the Ten Rings. Well, four then, because of the sister. Yeah, Lee. Right, I was saying the rebirth of the Ten Rings. But yeah, okay, that works too. So four... I oh, mean, I'm sorry, what was Lee... Yeah, Lee's the mom, that's right. Uh, it's uh, Ling, I think it's pronounced. Sure. I think it's the sister. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, it's Jailing. Uh, anyway, the sister's name is Janet. Um, it's all... <laughs> it's. <laughs> It's so well made that I'm I'm not surprised, Ben, that you gave it five stars because yeah. it, there it hits all the right beats. It's almost like Kevin Feige and crew have been doing twenty five of these movies. Here's <laughs> the thing. About, yeah. so well. Here's the thing about my five stars, though. They're my stars. You know, like it hit yeah. everything that I like. Uh, I should no, I shouldn't say it hit everything I like. Everything it hit was something I liked. Okay. Right. Um, but here's the other thing you, you say we're at the beginning of something. This is the first, the first real piece of MCU that has felt like the next phase to me. Black Widow right. was yeah. looking backward. Falcon Black and the Winter Widow Soldier. Was 
What? Black Widow was a coda. Yeah. Well, it, well, to me, Black Widow wasn't even a coda. Black Widow was a prequel to Endgame. Right. Or, yeah, not even that. The snap hadn't happened yet, right? Yeah. yeah. Black was a prequel to, 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 to Infinity, Infinity War. War. Yeah. And then you have Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision. Those two things felt like codas to me. And Spider-Man Far From Home felt like a coda to me. All of those things, those three things were like, okay, the blip happened and here we are dealing with the aftermath. Shang-Chi happens and it feels like, oh, we're in something new. We're bringing in a legitimately new character. Uh, the blip is referenced. There, there was some signs on the wall that were like for uh, blip support uh, online. And I, I think it might have even been an app where it was like to, to help with blip support, but the snap, the blip, whatever it is, is a part of the history here, but that's not what's driving things here. And, you know, Falcon and winter soldier, it was being driven by it, maybe not the blip, but definitely being driven by Endgame. WandaVision definitely being driven by infinity war and black widow is, you know, I find Black Widow very interesting in a lot of ways because it, it's like, hey, we're going to tell a story that takes place, place in the MCU's past, well, middle of the MCU uh, timeline that we have from Iron Man on until Endgame. But we're not even going to choose the time period that feels the most interesting. You know, like the most, it, it's just, here's just a regular Black Widow movie that if we had done this movie before Infinity War, that's what this would have been. And, but this, yeah, this one is the first one that feels forward facing and forward moving and not just in a post-credit scene. And not just from a character stance. I mean, the, the action in it was amazing. The, um, the storytelling nature of it was very well done. I mean, all of these things are new and fresh and, and, and feel new and fresh. And that's great. And that's what I want to see in the movies. Yeah. And, and part of the new and fresh is a new voice, you know, and I'm really curious, mm -hmm. the director, how much studio interference there was in this, because this feels like you have a, there's definitely a different voice happening here. And as much as there's different voices in the other movies, you also hear about, well, this interference, this interference, this interference. And, and with this, it just felt like, here's a, a director's vision on the screen with Wong fighting abomination. So, okay. That, that feels like it's shoehorned, not just on a, like, I have a great idea for a scene kind of a way, <laughs> but in a, Hey, yeah. Wong is in your movie. So you're going to do that. And let's also, I don't know why they brought in Abomination. I don't know what's going on with Abomination. <laughs> like, he's hanging out with Wong, though. I so have a Evan, feeling we're going to see Abomination again. Well, and that's probably why. in She-Hulk. Probably, it yes. It would make sense. But, um, yeah, Evan thought that it looked like when they went through the uh, teleport thing that it was going back to a prison cell. 
like Abomination is being held mm-hmm. in, a, in a dungeon or something by, by Wong. But to me, it feels like they're just, they're not buddies necessarily, but they're definitely, let's say business partners. <laughs> and, and Sparring also partners. Yeah. But that also feels kind of, I don't know. It feels a little shady. Like they go, they're buddies. They had a fight where people were betting money. You know, if Rocky and Creed are really close friends in Rocky two, it's a, it's a different fight. Now Rocky four, where, you know, there's not as much at stake and they're like, ding, ding, you know, I guess that was the end of Rocky three, but then they did in Rocky four as well. Um, That's different. They're sparring, you know, it's between them, which one of us would win. But I don't know. On, on the I'm bl- hoping that this this is a hint of something else that that's going to veer off over to in a completely different direction. But it's going to come back and connect everything again. Like maybe Wong and Abomination were trading information secretly, and the only place they could do it was at this arena. But they were to, they left together. Yeah. You know, I I here's my thinking my headcanon of what's going on here until they show us otherwise is Wong is trying to help abomination to not be so abomination, you know, and, and since he can't cure abomination, they're also going out and, and, you know, let's, let's make a little money, (laughs) a little, little money on the side. Dr. Strange doesn't pay too much. (laughs) And so they go back pays in rupees. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will, another feeling I had walking out of, out of the theater. I was thinking, man, I really wish I could get back to the dojo. <laughs> and I have reasons outside of of you know COVID restrictions to not go, and I will not be going back for quite a while. But oh, I really wanted to get back to the dojo. I wanted to put on my gi and warm up, and you know, throw someone to the ground. I miss it so much. I, I did not have that. I, that is not a feeling I can share with you. I will <laughs> say, this is everything I wanted Iron Fist to be, right? Yes. Yeah. Amazing oh. fights. Yeah, go, go ahead, go ahead. Really well-told stories, interesting characters, funny moments mixed with poignant moments, mixed with, uh, um, you know, grand explosive moments um and that just wasn't uh 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 iron fist now i have a question for the the comic guru where was iron fist from when in the show kunlun kunlun yeah and that wasn't tao lo or whatever no no it wasn't uh okay yeah, so that was meant to be like in, I believe, in Tibet, the Kunlun, and I don't know where, uh, where the village, I can't remember the name of the village that you just said, but I'm not sure where they were located. Taolo? Yeah. Wherever that was, I'm not sure where that's located, but just another place in China, I think. Um, but specifically... Kunlun was was I believe supposed to be Tibet, and it's yeah. I here's the one difference 
where you say this is everything that you had hoped, and, and same for me, that I'd hoped Iron Fist would be, is this kind of thing. But here's what's really nice about this, is that this is actually giving, again, voice to Chinese American, Asian American filmmakers and actors. And in some cases, I guess not even Asian American, just, just Chinese, you know, but, um, and an iron fist is a blonde white guy. Now I like the character. I like the dynamic of that character with Luke Cage in the comics. It's a thing, you know, and it's definitely playing to that trope of the, you know, white American who goes and brings back the special knowledge of, of Kung Fu or whatever. Um, you know, the karate kid trope even, but here we are with this movie, uh, so much better than iron fist. And I'm glad it's this and not iron fist because it could have been bad. <laughs> and it wasn't. So. Well, yeah. And, and you know, you did not give five, <laughs> Iron Fists to any episode of Iron Fist. <laughs> no, yeah. no. And, you know, and looking, you know, remember Jessica Jones, you know, was, well, mm-hmm. another four stars or whatever for this, for that, you know, yeah. for that and the other thing. But it was always just a solid four, you know, and then you get to Iron Fist and it's not four. solid four anymore, you know, and no, it, the, the comparison's not fair in some ways. That was television. That was lower, yeah, yeah. lower uh, budget and and everything. Um, but there's a lot of really good kung fu out there that was really low budget, and <laughs> and, and and Iron Fist didn't manage to get up to that to that level. Did I still enjoy it? This, yes, I did. I did enjoy it, but not like I enjoyed this. <laughs> Yeah, right. The fight scene on the bus, the fight scene on the side of the building, I, I was speechless in those in those moments. You know, uh, uh, the fight scene on the side of the building, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. You know, we've seen close close uh close quarters fighting similar to the bus and oh look they they've at they took the hallway scene from daredevil and put it into speed the movie and oh don't get below 55 you know whatever but on the side of the building they're using all the bamboo scaffolding and they're going through windows oh oh it was just amazing i sat there yes ma'am they could and go below 55 if they wanted to, because they were going downhill in San Francisco with broken brakes. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of traffic in San Francisco, though. Yeah. And apparently, you know, hitting solid objects that aren't moving does not slow down that bus. <laughs> oh, man. It made me wonder where Luis was. Oh, yeah, man. You know, I would have loved to have seen him pop in and then, you know, just kind of like do his style on storytelling and then pop out. I would have been okay with that. We almost <laughs> Even if got it was just a, a random bit, shoe corning. Yeah. We got a little bit of that where there was a couple moments where it, you got voiceover and it was Aquafina or it was uh, Shang-Chi and they're talking about, and that's how we met, blah, blah, blah. Or that's what happened this afternoon. Right. You know? And yeah. then later Those on, scenes it's in the bar. Yeah. Just telling the story of how they fought a demon monster. That's eight souls, you know, and 
we we uh, what would be fun would be to have I, I can't remember Aquafina's character's name, but have her with Luis and 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 they're both trying yes. to you know pass information on to each other or something. But yes, oh, that'd be hilarious. So like a story, like a flashback off. Sort of yeah. <laughs> flashback <laughs> off. Yeah, flashback off with their style of storytelling. That would be fantastic. The, or but, send them on an adventure together and then have them like separately tell their stories to their friends. <laughs> yeah. The thing with Aquafina though, back to her, she was the you know, the, there was she was the sarcastic commentary, you know, the Greek chorus, the sarcastic Greek chorus. She was us yeah. being brought into a world that we don't understand. Um and and side note, I love the fact that this wasn't an origin story in the sense that uh, I know Kung Fu, you know, it was this guy had been trained. And when he first starts fighting in the bus, it's not a, Oh wow. Something just got activated in me. It was so cool to make the realization along with her. He knows what he's doing and it's a reveal for us and and a cool one at that. And I did like the nonlinear storytelling that was going on where at the right moment we get the flashback to see like, oh, so this is a thing. You know, he knows how, what he's doing and here's the training montage now. And it could have been linear and, you know, it would have been nice, but we wouldn't have had the reveals about did he kill the person he was sent to kill? You know, and the way I they dropped the story, I, I was like, oh, I wonder, did he do it? He might have done it even though he lied and said he didn't. Yeah. I, I think it would have been boring if it was a very linear story because you'd have had to have him be a kid and then he would have had to fight with his dad and then he would have had to go off and do the thing and you would have needed to, to see whether he did it or not. You know, right now it's ambiguous and it leaves us questioning and it's a thing they can answer. It's a, ju- it's a thing they can go back and, and figure out later on. And and there are some pieces that they did drop for when they do do uh, Shang Chi and the Legend of the Eleven Rings, but mm-hmm. for all that they gave the us, Eleven Rings to rule them all. Yeah, for all that they gave us here, though, it was yeah, it wasn't linear. If it had been linear, yeah, it wouldn't have been as dynamic, but it still would have worked because you still have okay, you get to see his mom do what she did as she's getting ready to fight that's still going to look like it did, you know? And I think mm-hmm. there would still be, I think that there'd be a different kind of effect if we were growing up with him and watching him grow up um, instead of discovering things with Aquafina. But yeah, it, back to her though, there were moments, like I said, where you expected her to s- just say the joke, you know? And instead of saying the joke, she literally gets to do moments that are, like I said, human. Are we going to die? And it's it's just her talking to the sister. Can't remember her name, but she's healing. She, yeah, she's asking, "Are we going to die?" Because that's a human thing to say when you're confronted with craziness like this. And she she she's doing something similar when they're getting ready and doing the arrow stuff, you know and. And so after the fact, she's talking about all I could do is hear my mom saying, take the shot, you mooch, you know, and 
Uh, but before that, she's being careful. She's being told, don't die, you know, and, and she's being accepted. And I just feel like for comic relief, this, for a character who could potentially only be comic relief, she's not. And the movie is much better for it. It's much more beautiful. Absolutely. Well, her role in this movie, like you said, is to be the Greek chorus, to be the eyes that we see through. And that's why the story is not entirely linear, entirely linear is because most of the movie is set in a way that she, that she learns what's going on. And that is actually reflected that that's actually not entirely uncommon. I mean, Star Wars, uh, the first uh, the first movie, at least, was set through the eyes of the droids um unless you look at the prequels and you learn oh uh, r2 didn't know everything all along and he just wasn't saying anything um but let's just push that aside because it, it it doesn't work for my point the point is that r2d2 and c3po are based on two characters from from a movie called the hidden fortress which is not a chinese movie it's a japanese movie but it's still it's, it's asian cinema i mean and that was actually that's actually a really good movie too if you you have a chance to go see it because um, it's told through the eyes of these two very, very low class men who are on a trip with this, this warrior guy and this very silent girl. And as you go along, you learn, Oh, the girl's being silent because, uh, and pretending to be speechless because if you heard her speak, you'd know that she was extremely upper class and she was a princess. So, Sorry to spoil that movie for you, but that movie's been out since the 50s, 60s. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, and it's just, it's a really great way to turn a story on its head and to see the story from a different point of view, or certain points of view. Um, but, you know, something that's a little bit more feasible than than having Obi-Wan tell you, oh, your dad died in a war, uh, when that was not true. But still, I mean, yeah, she and and the fun thing about having that Greek chorus is that you that's where you, a great place where you can put those comedic moments and Aquafina. I mean, I don't it was probably a. A, 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 a collaboration between her and the scriptwriter and the director and when to put in those funny moments and when not to. Um, because I'm sure Aquafina doesn't always want to be known as the funny girl. I'm sure she wants to every once in a while get into those dramatic roles like you see comedians do more and more often. And I think she just did fabulous. I mean, we needed somebody to look at this and go, are we going to die? Because, I mean, asking those questions in a movie, that raises the stakes. And she... She elevated and raised the stakes just by being there and reacting like everybody else really would. I liked her resolution, too. I liked how she became yeah. a hero, right? She she doesn't have magic bracelets. She doesn't have an arc reactor in her chest. She wasn't shot up with a ser super serum. She doesn't – she can't shoot a bone arrow – expertly like Hawkeye she's just a person who decided to go out there and fight like Hawkeye says in in um Age of Ultron you can stay in here and you can you can be afraid and that's fine but if you go out there you're an Avenger you're gonna fight you're going to um help people 
like that's what she chose to do. You know, when everybody else told her no, she's like, no, I'm I'm this is the thing I'm going to do. And that's a character development from earlier in the in the in this movie where people are like, eh, what are you gonna do? I don't know. I might sleep all day or whatever she said she was gonna do. I thought I really liked that character arc. She's probably the most down to earth person in the MCU that I can think of at this moment. Yeah. Well, what were they doing at the beginning of the movie? They were they were valet attendants who would take the the vehicles that they were supposed to park out for joy rides. I mean in many ways, I mean it's that's a that's a really low level entry job. Um and they ended up saving the universe. I mean it's about as low level as renting cars. Yeah. You mean renting cars out? Yeah, renting cars out to people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sooner or later, you might become an assistant manager of that, but then you'll then you'll leave to go to business school. <laughs> Watch Kim's Convenience People. Yes, yes. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, you get to see lots of seemingly, and that's... He... He's another one, man. Yeah. He is so charismatic it's kind of scary. I mean, if you watch him on TikTok, he's he'll walk up to anybody and talk to anybody and and just just so down to earth. And I'm glad we have that. You know, uh Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, maybe not Chris Evans, but definitely RDJ. You know, he was a he's a big movie star. Kind of had a downfall, but then Iron Man brought it back. I mean, he was a big movie star. People knew who he was. You know, even when he was at his lowest and and using drugs and really struggling with that, you see, you would see his work that he was doing at the time, and he had charisma coming out of his pores. Exactly. I mean, yeah, but now that he's clean and he's straightened out his life, I mean, it's just it's he shines even more. And. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see where, you know, I don't know if we have any more MCU movies with Simu Lee in it, in them. I, I haven't heard one way or the other, you know, when, back when oh, we had. Oh, they better bring him back. Yes. Yes, they, they have. Better. They'd be making a mistake if they did not. And they'd be making a mistake if they uh, didn't plan for that either. You know, and, and and I don't believe our pal Kev Doug t- thinks like that. I think he's far more forward thinking than than he even he knows and lets on. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm looking at his IMDb page. Yeah, I'm looking at his IMDb page and looking at his filmography. Did you know that? Corner Gas had an animated series that was released this year. Yeah. Yeah, and he's we, in it. We talked about oh, it. Oh, is he really? Yeah. I didn't know he was in it. As Ger- Gerald Mesmerizer. <laughs> oh, well, then there you could go. I have a fan theory. It's actually my just brain theory that the girl from Kim's Convenience that he dates, I forget her name, a mozzing lady, and <laughs> Gabrielle Carter, who is ruby's diner girl they're related and they're they both had an aunt ruby 
that's my that's my personal like actually Casey and I came up with it. Anyway, let's move on. That that episode you're talking about, I think it's only been released in Canada though. Oh. Because I haven't seen that yet. That that's that yeah. I don't think it's but, been released yeah. on, on Prime yet or on IMDB or whatever. Yeah, I haven't seen it, which means it hasn't been released in the US yet. So but that's the point. Like he's in a huge movie, but he also just did voiceover work for a very small animated show. So I I I hope Simuli has a huge career in front of him as far as a uh, as far as the MCU is concerned. And it'd be I stupid really not so to. Too. Oh, I just learned something. He's Uh in pre-production for a movie that is going to be filming near me. Oh. Yeah, he'll be filming a movie called uh, One True Loves in Wilmington, North Carolina. Oh, I better call my friends. (laughs) It looks like from the premise that it's going to be one of those movies where a woman is forced to choose between her long-lost husband and her fiancé. Oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah. Has Hallmark written all over it. Oh, and Philippa Sue is is starring in it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I have. (laughs) Ben, have you seen Hamilton yet? No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This this conversation derailed pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Where where are we? (laughs) Let's get back on track. Let's talk about Trevor. I mean, well, okay. Before we talk about Trevor, I just want to note, we're talking about the right characters, you know, a lot of times you get a movie, those main characters don't have a lot going on. I'm not saying an MCU movie. I'm just saying in general, this movie, we we've got the comic relief is an actual character. The main character is not this perfect person who's doing perfect things, but actually has stuff going on in his life. And then you have Trevor who, is comic relief just pretty much for comic relief and there yeah, was but we have a history with him it's true there was yeah. one point though in the movie where uh, i wish i could remember who said it. i think it was my son he just said and i can't remember when he said it but he's just, just that's so stupid <laughs> and just couldn't help himself because it was just not uh not hitting him well but yeah they brought back trevor I like how they brought him back. I really like. I mean, I I felt bad that, or I I, I felt terrible that all of his talent was put onto this really a, a character who's a drug addict. But in this movie, he says that jail was the best thing for him. He got clean, and now he. It looks like he's working himself up to be a person of purpose again even though he was sort of trapped in this situation, but he, he didn't fall back into old habits and he seemed to be content where he was as much as he could be. And he ended up in a far better place in the end. Yeah. So, I mean, I was really happy to see his story arc in this movie. And he provided some really great comic relief. I liked him in this movie. I laughed a lot in this movie because of him. Mm-hmm. Honestly, though, he's the weakest part of the movie. Ben Kingsley is the weakest part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, uh, which says a lot of really great things about this film. A lot. <laughs> Here's my question. I don't know why they brought him back. If not, if the only reason I can think they brought him back was to say, yes, as a company, we understand that the whole Trevor Mandarin thing was a, was a thread and we're going to bring it back into the fold. Now we can all be happy and done. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't feel like Ben, I don't feel like Trevor is going to do anything else. Not unless they come back to this land, but I feel like Trevor would stay in uh, Tao Lo or whatever. Tao I think he would stay here because this seems like the kind of place that he would be accepted and they would let him start a little theater company. And I'm sure they would enjoy his or his, a soccer um, club. His craft. Or, or soccer a soccer club. club. Or, yeah, and uh, he's also apparently gained the ability to speak to creatures like Morris. So he can be a translator, but I doubt that they need him. But, I mean, they <laughs> have this character tied up, and he has a good, he, he's in a good place. You can leave this character here, or if you want to pick him up later and bring him back into the fold somehow later, it, that's okay. But, yeah, his story ends here, pretty much. Now, for for a character who feels like they were, and I don't know how much was this was forced, and how much was the screenwriter saying, "Hey, you know, we've got this Ten Rings thread, and Trevor's part of that. We should bring him in." You know, I I'm not sure, uh, but they did a good job of creating a scenario where he has to go with the main characters into the main action. Yes. Yes, and then quietly steps out of the main action. So he takes, he does not overstep his bounds. You know, the whole playing dead thing. Great. Like that's exactly what Trevor would do. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, and and it works for that. And like you said, you know, they have to, they have to bring him along and, and get him into the, to the, get him to tell low or whatever and all that works. I just don't know if we needed it, but I'm glad we got it. It was a plot device. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like I said, Ben Kingsley was the. Oh, Ben Kingsley. Well, can act it, the phone book and we'd all. I know, I, yeah, fun. I know. I know. I know. But, but Ben Kingsley was the low point of this movie. And he, Oh, he acted the, he acted the pants off of that role, but. I mean, and he played his part and he did a wonderful job and I laughed and I mean, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. But to say that he's the low part of this film says so much for this film. I mean, I love that. bit. It says more about this movie than it says about him for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? There's nothing wrong putting with putting Ben Kingsley in a comedic role. Who's a plot device. It's that's okay. No, because he's great at it. Yeah. Oh, man. So then you have, like for me, talking about my quadrants, you have the plot, the characters, the style, and the themes. And and style-wise, this movie just, I think, a big part of why I can, can comfortably give this movie five stars and put it at the top of the list is the style of this movie. The 
the dreamlike qualities of some of the fight scenes and, and some of the, um, the moments and, and the, you know, the, the, the landscape and all of that ties into these characters who have genuine relationships. You care about the, the friendship that Shang-Chi has with Aquafina. You care about his relationship with his dad. You're wondering, where is that going? Um, you know, and, and, and your, my opinion of the dad changed throughout the movie as you're watching, you're like, this guy is basically the most evil person in the world. Why is she falling for him? And then you realize he's changing. She changed him just because of their relationship. And then you see he's evil. Now he's doing evil things now because of that relationship he had with her. And is that a good thing? No, she would hate it, but it's understandable. And and so you have that character stuff going on and it's all fitting into some of these themes about, um, you know, family and, and friendship and, um, you know, all that stuff. It's just all wrapping itself up. But then you have the style of the movie, which is, yeah, the, the, the opening fight between the dad and the mom and the, the moments when they're riding the dragon, you know, and, and just, there's, there's just this beauty to this movie. That's very different from anything we've gotten in the MCU to this point. Yeah. The only kind of beauty you can find in, in an Asian film, it's the lights different. It's well, because of the bamboo, it tends to be a little bit more green, but like a, a really warm green, a yellowish green. It's, I mean, the the color coding on the costumes of the characters, the the color coding on the powers and the setting. Um, by the way, if you're young and listening, no, you cannot change someone just by dating them. They have to choose that for themselves. And as you see here, um, um, uh, uh, Shang Chi's father. Like as soon as she was gone, he turned back to his old habits, and he was evil again. And uh, and then he and then he like trains his son to be a, an assassin. Oh, that's that's terrible parenting right there, terrible. But yeah, you cannot you cannot change someone who does not want to be changed. And that, but so yes, training your son to be an assassin is terrible parenting. That that should be rule number one. In what to expect. Do not train your child to be an assassin. But training one child to be an assassin and then ignoring the other child. <laughs> uh, he's not going to win father of the year. All right. No. It's just not no, going to happen. Is he, is he the. I, I found myself thinking, is he the worst father in the MCU or is he the best father in the MCU? No. Now hear me out. Let's the, not say he's the best. The answer father. is no. <laughs> To either of those questions, but like we don't. Yes, we have the same old trope of the main character fighting the father figure slash father, you know, to overcome that. I get that, but it worked in a way that was different than say, you know, Star Lord fighting Ego, or um, uh, uh, uh Tony Stark fighting Obadiah Stane. You know, it, it's this different. 
the dad wasn't this bombastic mustache twirling evil villain. He was this kind of guy who was like, look, I'm trying to teach you the world I know to prepare you because I'm probably going to send you off to do something bad, but it's still the world I know. I'm trying to raise you into it. I, I found that interesting rather than being um, blatantly mustache twirling, black hat wearing. So you're saying he's he's a father figure akin to uh, Sam and Dean Winchester's father in Supernatural. <sighs> I, yeah, Which she could go uh, either way if, if he was yeah, a good father or bad father yeah, of that show. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. I, it's what I found interesting about it was the fact that I was even asking myself the question and even wrestling with that. Yeah. He's a bad father for sure. Don't get me wrong, but there's some, there's some interesting realism there that he's having to deal with. The least of which is I've got a business to run. I want my, you know, I want my family to be a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> be interesting to do a, a character study on fatherhood in the MCU because you don't have very many good father examples. In fact, well, a lot of characters, we don't even know what their father figure is, you know, and yeah, so you have Thanos, you know, and actually um, this father reminds me more of Thanos than anyone else in. Yeah. Yeah. But like, Odin's a bit like that too, because he's favoring Thor over Loki, and but, but then know, again, Odin didn't teach Thor to become a sat an assassin. He did that with their his daughter. But Tony Stark was a father. Scott, yeah, Lang's I mean, he was a, a great a father. Yeah, Hawkeye's a father. Clint Barton. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, but you're talking like, about main characters who became fathers after we knew them. Except for Scott Lang. That's true. Now, Hawkeye, he was a father at the time, but that's a retroactive change to the... Right, right. Yeah, no, but if you're talking about fathers of main characters, then you're in a different <gasps> a different place. The king yeah. of Wakanda was an amazing father. Yeah. I, fatherhood in the MCU would be an interesting, like deep dive study that I'm probably never going to even think about. So if you write that paper, I'll read it. Let's say it that way. <laughs> it'd be a good character study. It'd be a good psychology study. It'd be a good, mm -hmm. good subject for a paper for film school. There you go. Yeah. We get part of your A. Yeah. <laughs> so what else is there to talk about in Shang-Chi? Okay. Um, one thing that caught my eye in the movie. So towards the end in that final fight, you see that Xiling and Shang-Chi, they received this new dragon scale armor. His was red, which was matching the, the fighting clothes of, of everybody else who was in that area. Hers was white. And so she sort of stood out from them or stood apart from them in a way. And I think that's what we got to see in her after credit scene, that she she said she was going to shut down her dad's business, but instead she turned it into her own. I feel like hers was more gray than white. 
more gray, yeah, kind of like a whitish gray color, and and more of an ambiguous kind of a metaphor. If you're yeah. if you're using the coloring there, yeah. um, I love the use of color in this, and and I've seen people complain about it. I, so many things that we're talking about, things we liked in this movie. I've seen people complain about it as well and say that's something I don't like. And so you know the 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 lighting and the the coloring. And you have like the energy from the bad guys' weapons and the energy from the good guys' weapons. It's red versus blue. And it's, um, well, and, and his father, when he used the rings, it's, it's blue. And when, and when he uses, when Shang-Chi uses the rings, it's, it's yellowish, orangish, reddish, you know, and kind of more matching the people of the village of the, the land rather than what his dad had when he, so you have these visuals happening it's almost as bad as you know cobra lasers are red and gi joe lasers are blue or it's the other way around <laughs> but it's kind of happening that way but that's the thing is to me it's creating this visual language yeah that is is that the, the the movie uses to speak in this movie is creating its own visual language to speak in so you know exactly what it's saying and again that's, that's that goes down to that style but yeah, Shang Chi gets his his armor, and it places him directly as part of that grouping of people. She gets it, and it stuck out to me at the very beginning. Now I did not think that it was going to be a turn at the end, but it did stick out to me when she got her armor. Like she doesn't fit in to what they've got going on here. Again, it was not something where I was able able to say. I know exactly where this is going. This is going into a place where she's going to become a crime lord or <laughs> whatever. But thought, she was a crime lord already. Right, right. But I thought we were yeah. going to see her move away from that. And, and you know, she's on the side of the angels now. And instead, no, she's doing what she was doing before. And and it may, it, character-wise, it fits. Even when she was talking about you know, when she left and she was 16 and she started this, this professional fighting ring or whatever it is, it fits that this would be where she goes instead of the redemption story that we thought it was or that I thought it was, I should say. When I first saw her in the white slash silver lighter colors, I, I, it twigged. I was like, what, why, why is that? And then I saw the dragon and those, her, 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 outfit matched the dragon so i'm wondering if that is because i don't remember seeing the dragon in her post credit scene so i'm wondering if that's a thing that we're gonna see going forward you know dragon riders that'd be cool i'd watch mm. that well that dragon had both red and white scales it was mostly white but there were some red ones on there which yeah makes, i mean which makes me wonder do they change their scales over time are they wearing the older scales that the dragon just shed they're gonna yeah. dye their scales. <laughs> but yeah, it, it it did have red scales too, just not nearly as much as the white. Can we talk about Michelle Yeoh? What an amazing, amazing person Michelle Yeoh is. I have never seen a film with her where I was not disappointed. Or I'm sorry. <laughs> I've yet to see a movie with her where I was disappointed. Yeah. Yeah, she she just every time she's in a role, she just hits that one out of the park. I immediately went out and sought out Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon because that's just an amazing 
phenomenally gorgeous and you know, we're talking about the difference between Asian cinema and uh, Western cinema. And Crouching Tiger, in my mind, is like the epitome of that Asian cinema right around 2000. You know, it's got a different pace. It's got a different way of telling the story. And it's gorgeous. <laughs> and the, the wire foo work in there is just, you know. Now, that movie's 20 years old. Obviously, this one's updated some things, but that scene in there's two scenes specifically that I'm thinking of. The first scene with the 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 dad and the mom meeting mm-hmm. that reminded me of of so many angry moments from um, from a uh, 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 crouching tiger, and then the scene when Michelle Yeoh and Simu Lee were you know sparring. Again, imagine being Simu Lee and be like, okay, well, now, day one, we're going to spar with Michelle. Yeah, what? <laughs> gonna... oh, oh, okay, let's do this. Yeah. And their powers, their powers were based in an element, but it wasn't strictly air and it wasn't strictly water. And that makes sense because both air and water Wind and water, they're both viscous fluids, which means that they are subject to same laws of physics. Like, they can fill the container that they're in, or they take the shape of the container that they're in. Um, So I I really appreciated that they didn't go one way or the other, like you see in other things like Avatar, The Last Airbender. But now that I think about that, that makes sense why um, Aang and, uh, I can't remember her name. But at, why they got together in the end, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, you didn't know it was going to be spoiling the end of Avatar. But I, mean, I was just glad that they didn't overlook that law of physics. I, I really was just happy that they did that. And again, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And that's why we go to see a lot of like Asian cinemas, because they focus a lot on the beauty of the shot. Yeah, and and in this particular movie, it it flowed from scene to scene. It flowed from shot to shot, and it. What's nice about it, though, you you know, you're talking about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which was also building on other things that had come before it, and and everything is building on something that's come before it. You know, you're standing on the shoulders of giants, kind of thing. Uh, What's good about this movie is that it's not just. Okay, I don't know how many movies you saw after Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I saw a lot where I was trying to recapture like the the feeling that I got from watching Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, <laughs> which is a long movie, but it's just gorgeous, and there's these moments, and um, mm-hmm. and then you get you know, I don't know, pole fighting monkeys, or I, I don't know. <laughs> there was just a lot of movies that came out after that. Yeah, that they were trying to like get the next big thing, and then you you like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, you're gonna love this one. And sometimes I did, and other times I didn't. But in this case, partially because I was a little bit surprised, like it was a pleasant surprise to be sitting there and realizing I'm getting some of that same feeling of just this this dreamlike moment and these slow uh, emotional shots. I I think that one thing again, generalizing 
But one thing I, I see when I watch, uh, you know, anime or, well, even, even some of the Kung Fu stuff and, and is, is how there's, those are movies that, that flow with an emotional truth. And so like the exaggeration that you get in anime works because it's emotionally true, you know, and whereas a lot of American cinema rests on uh, narrative truth. Mm -hmm. And, and so as you're watching an American movie, it's, it's narrative. Now there's emotion in the narrative and there's emotion in the characters. And then also if you're looking at, you know, again, bringing up anime, but, but a lot of uh, the Kung Fu movies and those kind of things, there's narrative in the, in the emotion, but, and this is broad generalization that comes from not a lifelong knowledge of these different cinema styles. It just comes from observation of what I've experienced with them. But yeah. And and this is a movie that, yeah, there was definitely a narrative. There was a big, bad thing that was causing big, bad problems. And they had to take care of that big, bad thing, but they are taking care of that big, bad thing. Crouching tiger, hidden dragon style. (laughs) Where it's, it's beautiful color and it's, it's brilliant lighting and it's this slow motion sometimes, but it doesn't feel like bullet time. It feels like we're, we're lingering on the shot to linger on the emotion. Yeah. And, and then now we're going to fast paced fighting scenes that remind you a little bit of Jackie Chan and, mm-hmm. and his style of thing where he's, you know, picking up the laptop and, that the laptop thing, I could totally see Jackie Chan doing that exact, not just the move, but the reaction after the move. Oh, sorry, <laughs> you know, I'm giving it back. And so you see all these references and all these things that it's being built on and to create something new and fresh and exciting. And one of the things I love about it is that when I saw Crouching Hagger, Hidden Dragon, I had seen other Kung Fu movies and I had some familiarity with Chinese cinema, but Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was this kind of moment in cinema where people are like, oh, hey, let's take a look, you know, not just American stuff. Let's, let's go beyond that. And I think we might get a little bit of the same kind of reaction here. Yeah. Oh, there's another movie. I cannot remember the name of it from my life, but keep talking. I will find it. But it's just the... There was a combination of ridiculousness, acting style, comedy. Kung Fu Hustle? Kung Fu Hustle, thank you. Yes. Which he had a poster um, of in his room. Yeah, which is, yeah. <laughs> if, if, you're in, if you're looking for a really, it's not kid-friendly kid exactly, because there's a lot of language in it. Um Unless you just, you know, want to take the subtitles off and you happen to speak Chinese. Um, but it, 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 that I actually saw that in film school before that movie was actually released in the United States. Because one of my professors got their hands on a copy. And I, looking back at all the movies that I watched 
during those years I was there, I cannot remember laughing more sitting in class. That was, I had so much fun watching that movie, but there was also just a lot of emotion in that movie. There was a lot of, it, it, it took um, Asian cinema to, to new heights, that movie, um, expertly, it seems like. He also had a poster for the Warriors. Warriors, come out and play. Uh, and, and that's one thing that that's just a common thing that filmmakers will do, where they'll throw the poster of the thing that they like on, on the wall. And there were those yeah, two things. And that's, and, that's actually too, too, because that was the seeing those posters that was in the beginning of the movie. So that was sort of like, Hey, if you've seen these films, you know what flavor you're going for with this film. It's a little direct, but I mean, if you miss it, you're okay. But if you see it and you know those movies, you're like, okay, that's what I'm in for. Yeah, totally. Totally. All right. We're creeping up on, no, we're not, we're not creeping up on the length of the movie, but we are creeping up on a pretty long podcast here. So I think it's time for us to uh, kind of prepare final words, be ready to be done. So, uh, yeah. What are your final words? Is there anything from your notes that we didn't get to that we need to? Um, Stuart. Yeah. Go ahead. Do you have anything? Um, yeah, I was going to thank our Patreon patrons, Jeffrey Tazzle, Blessed Cheesemaker, 084, Julie, and Andrew. Thank you all very, very much. And I just want to thank everybody for – we should talk about the contest. <gasps> yes. Okay, those are your this, final words. These are. This is the perfect time to talk about the contest. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I will send a picture. We'll post this on the internet. We have a – uh, 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 action figure of Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings, him in his dragon scale vest and carrying a bow staff. And if you flip his leg, he twirls his bow staff around. Um, we thought it'd be very cool to give it away to a random uh, person who contributes some sort of feedback. So send in your emails um and and we'll put them all into a hat and we'll draw it out and we'll send this to you um it's you know it's fun it 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 i mean it's not a uh, it's not a super collector's item but it's a fun little thing that you could get it's better no it is something not a no prize that's what it is it is a thing prize not a no prize um so that's what uh so yeah send in your send in your feedback so let's, oh, let's okay, say so this, is though. it feedback specifically for this movie? Yeah. Ben? Sure, sure. I, I was going to say, though, uh, because I don't know what's happening to our email. Um, GoDaddy has made some changes in terms of service. That, oh. Yeah, oh. and so we might be losing the – we're not losing the domain. WelcomeLevel7.com is not going anywhere. But we might be losing the email address. So, Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh and so I would say if you would like to be a part of this drawing, uh, like us on Facebook if you haven't already. 
do that and then send us a direct message. Yes. And let us and know that you want to be a part of this drawing. So anyone who sends a direct message to welcome to level seven will be entered for the drawing. And we aren't really doing much on Instagram. So probably not that. Um, we're on Twitter, but that doesn't get checked as often. So Facebook is really, Facebook is the place right now because I'm an old fuddy duddy. And <laughs> isn't that funny that you can say, we're at a point where you can say I'm old because this is the social media website that I use. Right. It's not I'm old because I don't use technology, young whippersnappers. It's I use, you know, I remember MySpace. So I'm old. Like that's <laughs> crazy to me. But yeah, here we are. I'm wearing my bul- we bifocals because I'm allergic to Retina Five. <laughs> do you remember Live Journal? Because I had a Live Journal blog going for I quite do remember, a while. <laughs> I do remember Live Journal. Yeah. And yeah. I, it sounds to me like Stuart, you just recognize that I, I dropped our Star Trek reference for the episode. Yes, you yeah. did, and I appreciate that on Star Trek Day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, so, yeah. do we have a date where the feedback is due? Let's say, because I don't know exactly when we're going to drop this, but it, we're recording it on Star Trek Day. End of September? No, I was going to say, so what's Saturday? That's September 11th? The 11th. So mm-hmm. I would say a week from Saturday. So September 18th. September 18th, 2021. Send us a direct yes. message. Even if you don't want the thing, if you have a kid in your life who would want it, or if you want to put it on your desk... Or if you have a, an adult in your life who want to put it on their desk, yeah, <laughs> like us on Facebook, send us a direct message, we'll drop you in the hat, and we'll do a drawing for whatever What If episode is coming out around September 18th. Which we recognize, by the way, that we are behind on two episodes now, because one just dropped today, and we haven't done the Doctor Strange one yet. But we're getting there. Yeah. We're getting there, and we're having fun with What If as well. Although I have thoughts about the zombie one that posted today. <laughs> Don't spoil me. I haven't seen today's episode uh, yet. <laughs> well, I, that's, I have thoughts. Zombies. Uh, I, I too have thoughts anyway, but yeah. So, uh, so yeah, get the, uh, send us your feedback, get your name dropped into a hat. You might actually get a prize rather than just a no prize. Mm. Yeah. So, okay. Shifting gears again. Uh, I just discovered something else about this movie that needs to be mm-hmm. at least mentioned. Okay. So the kid on the bus who was recording the fight and live streaming it, mm-hmm. he was in Spider-Man homecoming. Was he really? Yeah. Clev. Uh, he apparently he was on the bus in that movie. So that's cool. So we have another connection to another branch of the MCU or MCM as Stuart likes to tease me. Then Marvel no, Cinematic was, Multiverse. That was Ben who likes to tease you with that. Okay, one of you was teasing me about that. <laughs> I will still call it the MCU. Because the MCU does not cross with the DC Universe, okay? It does not cross with Lord of the Rings. It does not cross with Star Wars. So this guy who was on the bus recording fight scenes, what does he do? Travel around the country recording fight scenes on buses? And getting lots of scribe- subscribers? I guess so. <laughs> I think the guy's got a, a, he's got a live stream going. 
people people care, people pay attention. He's, it's not a TikTok because he had his camera sideways. Okay. Right, I'm so not I, on TikTok. I have no idea. So I've got two things here. And one is that I've got a uh, an email with a subject line of spoilers for Shang-Chi. And it is from 084. And he says... Oh, we have uh, one candidate now for the prize. <laughs> I mean, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> he says, as an Asian American, I can't tell you how happy I am to have gotten to see some authentic representation on the big screen in this universe I've loved so much. Shang-Chi was exciting, funny, inspiring, and even heartbreaking. I was very impressed with how sympathetic the villain was, with his villainous characteristic being psychological. Wen Wu was a bad man who found love and genuinely changed his stripes, but unfortunately let his capacity for good depend entirely on one person. And when that one person went away, he didn't believe he could be a good man, so he wasn't. My favorite scene might have been the confrontation between him and Shang-Chi at Ying Li's shrine and then outside of it. Their words hit each other just as hard as their combat, and both were expertly written and choreographed. Before I ramble on too long about anything else I loved about the movie, I'll end with a question. Do you think Wong lets Shang-Chi keep the Ten Rings, and do you want him to use them going forward? I know his 616 counterpart relies mainly on hand-to-hand combat, so I'd be curious to see if he uses these world-conquering weapons in the MCU and how he matches up power-wise to the other Avengers because of them. Until next time, 084. And I would say that I think, yes, he will be allowed to keep the rings. And I think they're a part of his character now. That when he shows up next, he will have those rings and he'll be using them for superpowers. And they might have him lose them for dramatic effect. And so he has to like continue on and, and do part of the movie without them. But my prediction is if he'll keep them, a... he'll use them, and might lose them for a bit. If you can't be a superhero without the suit, you don't need the suit. Tony Stark told Spider-Man that. But if your suit is 10 bracelets, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe he just loses one. Well, I I can't remember who I heard say this, but I I heard someone, might have even been one of my kids, but I, I, I can't remember now who I heard say this. They thought that he was going to end up with five and his sister would end up with five. Oh. Which is kind of cool when you think about it. Like he could, you know, let let Aquafina have them, you know, and, and have five of them or something. There's some interesting possibilities there. Not Trevor. I don't think Trevor's gonna be a possibility. But. <laughs> no. It's gonna be interesting to see how these rings what sort of mythology is brought up around these rings, right? Because I just thought, oh, it's a MacGuffin, whatever. And then the end scene happened, and they're like, no, no, no. If you didn't realize before, now I want you to really realize this is a big thing. These are huge, and you're going to see a lot of them going forward. Yeah, and it, it reminds me, honestly, of... The, it's a trope that's been used many times, but in 2001 when they find a monolith on the moon and they touch it, it sends a signal, you know? And and the idea was that the monolith was, was buried on the moon. When they find it, someone put the monolith there to warn everyone, Hey, the, the humans have gotten this far. 
and and you know then then the the idea is well what happens next and so you actually get 2010 2061 3001 uh, sequels only one of them was made into a movie by the way but that's what you have here where it sent a signal when he used them that's what's so intriguing to me is it sent a signal when he when used them. he used them not when his dad used them not for 3000 years when he used them i mean it's possible that when his dad used them it sent a signal but at the same time as possible as that may be nobody followed up on the call <laughs> and so probably for 3, it didn't send years. a signal <laughs> but when did the eternals come to earth that was i think they say 7000 years ago in that okay okay so they were already on earth it's it's it's, a, it's been a long time ranks. yeah yeah, yeah. So, when does um, that movie come out? November, right? Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. And then October. October, we are still unsure, but I think Venom is still coming out in October. So, and we haven't that. Did, that hasn't been confirmed or denied as the MCU, right? No, no. Except, no. But they've talked about things but nothing that they've done. Michael Keaton is in Morbius, I think. Morbius and Venom are Sony-verse Spider-Man movies. And I think that we're going to be seeing something that ties them ties them in. I think that they will directly tie them in on screen. I don't know why they're waiting so long. But well, that's where we're at. Here we are. You're going to have to tell me about that because I haven't seen Venom 1 still. <laughs> uh, you need to get that out of the so, way, man. <laughs> at I least if you're going to watch Venom on, 2. I think that's on Stars right now. Well, you know, life. Anyway, yeah. let's wrap yeah. this up. Okay. Yeah, so my one other last thing was uh, forget Fury's big week. This <laughs> past week was Wong's big week, man. You had the Doctor Strange What If, you had this movie, and you had the Spider Man uh, No Way Home. <laughs> I keep forgetting that title. The Spider Man No Way Home trailer. We had three major things dropping Wong into these major things. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm glad to see Wong. It's an interesting like. So like Nick Fury was the was the through line for the for Phase One or the you know the Infinity Saga or whatever until he wasn't right. It's an interesting thing to see Wong sort of taking up that mantle because Wong's not like a he's not like the director of Shield or anything like that. He I mean he's kind no. of like a low level guy who likes hunka hunka burning love or fudge or whatever it is he is a protector of magic though he's one of those guys who's a part of that whatever the i don't remember what they call themselves but i was gonna say i'm gonna be over here offended that you called him a low-level character he's a very powerful i mean he took on the abomination but they had an agreement and abomination wasn't fighting uh, the way he was supposed to be. And yeah, the, the abomination thing proves nothing to me, but the stuff that he was doing in 
Avengers and in Doctor Strange, that that shows us. He's got power. He knows what he's doing. He's 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 introducing Doctor Strange to all this stuff. And he has excellent taste in music. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all that said, <laughs> well, that was that was in the first scene that he was in, <laughs> or just about where he was. He was referenced as Beyonce, and then later he was listening to Beyonce's music. So, so yeah. Now that we've concluded this episode, I do want to introduce. We have a new producer. He's over here. Right here, and I'm just really curious, um, new producer over here, uh, what'd you think of the episode? Morris says, great job, everyone. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard us, now we'd love to hear from you. Go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback where you can contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 You can also join the lively conversation going on at facebook.com slash welcometolevel7 or connect with us on Twitter where we're level7pod. And remember, the 7 is spelled out. Our theme music is The Light Fantastic by J.S. Earls, and you can find that at transplant.bandcamp.com. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. And once again, thanks for listening. All right. Oh, Morris is so cute. <laughs> we didn't even talk about that, the magical creatures and, and the mythology. Like this is this is for oh Chinese mythology gosh. in the same way that Thor was for Nor- Norwegian mythology, where it's like the mythology exists because of the reality of yeah. Asgard. And the mythology exists like of the the lion, the, the magical lion and the, the nine-tailed foxes and the um whatever those six-legged, four-winged, faceless creatures are, uh, the mythology exists because it's real in that universe. And it, that's and, fine. Which that there was a multiverse going on from the beginning. And they make great merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendously amazing merchandise. You know that that Disney is putting plushes out as we speak. Oh yeah. Uh, although I haven't seen any or anything. I haven't really, seen any but. either. But uh, I there was a line in it. He's like, "What are you?" And the first thing I thought of was, "Oh, your merchandise is what you are." <laughs> and then Trevor's. Oh, you see him? He's real. Yeah, he is real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I gotta go to bed. Okay. <laughs> I think that's our post credit then. I could go on talking about this movie for another two hours. Oh, I, and I agree. Am I? I'm losing my voice. <laughs> hey, but I, we did I a post credit. Go see it again. We did a post credit like they did though, where our post credit has to do with the movie itself, right. with the topic itself, not just something else, you know, over there. And this is the post post credit <laughs> where we're referencing <laughs> the post credit. <laughs> Yes. Right. I want to go see the movie again. I can't wait till it comes out on, on a streamable whatever.
I'll probably purchase it in Apple because and that's I, happening. I might walk down to our local theater again because it's $5 cash. They don't take cards. Uh, <laughs> it's They have a pet dog that sits in the lobby, and oh. uh, which I don't pet, but I also don't mind. Um, but it's also just kind of a messy mess. There's a lot of stacks of junk. But, but they show you the, the they show you the movie. They do. They show the movie. Do they have? Do they have popcorn of? They do. Not questionable. <laughs> the popcorn made me feel very ill when I went Ooh. to bed that night. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably because they're using the coconut. Yeah, butter. That coconut, that coconut oil kills me. It really does. Yeah, it's not. It's not good for you. Well, it really isn't. Okay, I don't really think about that. I just know that. <laughs> If I accidentally eat popcorn with coconut oil, five, six hours later, I have just severe pain in my stomach. And Are you allergic to coconuts? I don't know. I've always hated them, so I don't, I, I don't eat coconut. I stay away from <laughs> coconut. I remember in high school, someone gave me a Capri Sun, and I started drinking it. I'm like, there's coconut in this. And you're like, that's, that's crazy, Ben. There's not coconut in there. And then we looked at the ingredients and there was coconut in there and I, I could taste it and I hated it. And I've always hated coconut, but coconut oil is good because it tastes buttery, very buttery mm. tasting, but it, it, it tears me up inside. It just makes me feel ill. And, and, and I'm, it's the kind of thing where it's just, it's, it's a uh, deep pain. And so I don't know if I'm allergic to it, but the good thing is I'm not allergic to popcorn. It's just that kind of popcorn. So that's good. <laughs> Yeah, you may have a mild allergy to coconut, um, or if you're like me, if it's, something's just too rich in fats or sugar, it doesn't like me. <laughs> so, I mean, it could be something like that. But I mean, it, like I said, it could be a mild allergy. It could be, and or if I don't eat too so much, mild. if I eat just a little bit, I'm okay. You know, but. I eat like an actual serving of it. it. Yeah, that sounds like a mild allergy. Anyways, uh, besides my uh, armchair doctoring over here. <laughs> yes. Good night. Okay, good night all. Later. Godspeed, everyone. <laughs>